Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzy. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. Yay! This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the part of thunder and rock and roll. The spell you're under will be broken by Chris Jericho. Yeah, the People's Podcast has arrived. The remedy for boredom is here. Let's go for a ride. Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. Yeah! Stone free, but um, boom, 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 get up, boom, 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 boom. Stone free, but um, boom, 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 boom. Stone free, but boom, 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 Man, that was a good time. I actually had to walk around the studio if you heard it fade out. It's because I was doing a little march. I'm into it, man. Jerichoholics, how in the hell are you? It's talk is Jericho. It's a great day. Very, very cool, stone-free Jimmy Hendrix. Little Hendrix, man, always makes you feel better. And you should feel good because today I got Matt and Jeff Hardy. The Hardy boys are coming up. They grew up on a tobacco farm in North Carolina. Gilbert is their father, great guy. They were very isolated, no neighbors, no other kids to play with growing up. We talk all about that and about how their upbringing led them to become one of the biggest tag teams in pro wrestling history. They started out with their own wrestling promotion, Omega, when they were like teenagers. They had some great gimmicks and costumes in those early days. We'll discuss that. They're also the guys who pioneered the modern day ladder match, table match, chairs match in the WWE. Lots of cool stories and stuff to talk about with the Hardy Boys on the way, but I need to start by saying thanks to you for tuning in and thanks for doing your Amazon shopping through my links at podcast1.com. Easiest way to support the show. Amazon is a proud sponsor of Talk is Jericho. And every time you shop at Amazon through my link, Amazon gives a small percentage of your purchase back to the show to help us cover production costs. You don't have to buy anything special. Won't cost you anything extra. Buy whatever you are planning to buy and help the show out in the process. Help me out. Help me to help you in the process. Go to podcast one.com click on the keep our podcasts free banner at the top of the page then hit the talk is jericho button i've got amazon links for the u.s the uk and canada a all over that bookmark it so you can get those links in one easy click go check it out help me out and uh and uh, i'm glad that you're helping me out very very cool to be here i'm in atlanta 
I'm in a, a studio, rehearsal studio. We just finished the Fozzie rehearsals for the Do You Want to Start a War tour that begins with Theory of a Dead Man. Tomorrow, basically tonight, actually, Wednesday night, uh, starts off in Phoenix, where we'll be at the Marquee in Tempe. Then on Tuesday, Abilene, Texas, the Lucky Mule. That's Fozzie on our own with uh, Avatar. On the 19th, which is Friday, San Antonio at Backstage Live. Then the 20th in Shreveport at the KTUX Festapalooza. Back to Louisiana, where I just was last night. And then head over to Nashville for the big Night of Champions pay-per-view. My last match in the WWE for a while. But don't worry, don't you fret. I'm not retiring. I'm not leaving you. I'm uh, going to be continuing forward better uh, than ever. You know uh, I had a really fun time on this last run. I really enjoyed it. I think it's because I had a purpose. You know, I came back to work with Bray Wyatt specifically. That was kind of the, the deal that I made. Uh, this weekend I have Randy Orton, which will be, be a lot of fun as well. But I uh, really kind of had something to sink my teeth into. And I really enjoyed the uh, the time that I had with the WWE. Last year I came back. It's when I did the, the feud with Fandango. And then I was just kind of working with everybody and had real no direction and nothing really going on. I worked with Ryback for a bit and I worked with Ziggler for a bit and I worked with Punk for a bit, but it was just kind of like losing, 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 win one match, lose, lose, lose. I kind of became the uh, the veteran job guy. And, you know, winning and losing doesn't mean everything, but it means something. And you can't just lose all the time and expect to have any credibility and expect it to mean something when someone beats you. And, and this time uh, it was the exact opposite of that. So really enjoyed uh the, the time in the WWE this last trip worked with Kane on Monday night uh, it was always fun to work with him big man I, I don't know if you saw I got cut open underneath my jaw I got five stitches and it happened basically he just gave me an elbow in the corner but the elbow didn't even touch me his shoulder caught me he's, got, he's such a big shoulder it's like this bowling ball shoulder hitting me underneath the chin and cutting me open to give me uh five stitches and man have things ever changed there's a couple drops of blood on the mat and suddenly referee Mike Kyoto, he's got his uh, rubber gloves on and they're checking you. Are you okay? Are you okay? And the worst thing that can happen is, and this is something that they have to do by verdict of, of Vince McMahon, that if somebody's bleeding and it can't be stopped or it can't be curtailed, you got to stop the match so that the referee can get in there and uh, stop the bleeding for you using Vaseline or whatever tricks that they have. But talk about killing the flow of your match. And this is a real thing. Like, you have to stop and you're basically doing this wrestling match, this show. And then, you know, something real happens. You get cut open. It's like, okay guys, uh, the show is done because somebody really got hurt. So now we're going to stop everything and get, get you fixed up. And it, it makes everybody mad. I mean, nobody wants to stop in the middle of your match. It, like I said, it kills. If you're telling the story, you got a beginning a middle and the end. And if somebody gets cut open and suddenly you got to stop for five minutes, it's like Wayne's world when, car you know the car goes by and they got to stop to you let the car go past and they continue their game that's exactly what it is it's like all right tackle drop down leapfrog body slam blood everyone just has to stop and wait for the ref to, to get the doctor in and the doctor comes in and puts the vaseline on and applies pressure and makes sure that it's not going to continue and then you know okay game on and that happened to me once. I worked with Yoshitatsu a few years ago. I'd worked with him in Japan, and we had a really good match. And I said, listen, man. I mean, we tore the house down, actually. And I said, listen, you uh, need to work that way. 
that you just worked with me in Japan all the time. And lo and behold, we happened to go back and we were working a superstars match, which is what was the other kind of like the main event show at that time. And I said, listen, man, I want to see you work that Japanese style. Don't give me this timid Yoshitatsu stuff. And starting the match, he was super timid and pissed me off. So I slammed him on the ground and I took my knee pad off and I dropped the knee right in the middle of his face and it cut him open. And the doctor came in and we had to stop the match. And then the doctor gave him stitches or whatever he did right uh, at the scene of the crime. Well, I grabbed a a folding chair and I, I put it down in the middle of the ring. And I just sat there with my arms crossed, like, all right, whatever. And I'll tell you what, when that match started again, Yoshitatsu was a different guy. He came in there and he kicked the shit out of me. And it was great. It was probably uh, one of the better matches he had in the WWE. But I had to cut him open to do it. And, you know, is that unprofessional? Uh, Kind of, but also I wanted to light a fire under his ass. And I did. The only thing was, you know, that um, we had to wait while the doctor repaired it. And, I mean, years ago, you would, you know, you could be cut wide open. You could break your nose, whatever. And they would never stop the match for nothing. If you stopped the match halfway through, it was almost seen as a as a wimpy thing to do. So we grew up in 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 the time where you do not stop a match no matter what. Those times have changed, and now if you you know have a nosebleed, they'll stop it and get the referee in there. So, <laughs> but I love it. It's the sign of the times. Enjoyed Monday Night Raw with Kane. Enjoyed SmackDown. It was me and. Roman Reigns against Seth Rollins and Orton. Got the big victory against Orton. Got the big victory against Kane, too, with roll-ups. I'm the king of the roll-ups. I'm the wacky roll-up guy. That's actually what I used to call John Cena because when he first got his push, the only matches he ever won are ones that he won with roll-ups. But I'll tell you what, Seth Rollins, great worker. I really enjoy working with him. We have good chemistry. We worked in Boston last Sunday at at a live event and tore the house down. Really, really cool chemistry being in the ring with him. Reminds me of a young me. All right? Reminds me of a young me. But uh, one more match against Randy Orton, Night of Champions in Nashville. But like I said, we got Phoenix. We got Abilene. We got San Antonio. We got Shreveport, Louisiana. It's time for Fozzie to get back on the road. Time for uh, us to continue to, to dominate and continue that momentum. Lights go out. The top rock song on the Panda Strip Club DJ charts for the third month in a row. Yeah, exactly. We are the um, highest charting rock song on the strip club DJ charts, which is so amazing. One of my favorite things, one of my favorite stats. You know, if the strippers like it, then I'm happy. And listen to these songs. Number five, Habits, Chainsmokers remix with Tovlo. Number six, No Mediocre, Stevie B remix from uh, T.I. featuring Iggy Azalea. Number seven, Wiggle with DJ Bravo twerk mix. That's Jason Derulo featuring Snoop Dogg. All about that bass, Stevie B remix again. The Stevie B's all over the place. That's Megan Trainer. Number nine, Anaconda, Nicki Minaj. Number ten, Am I Wrong, Nico and Vins. And number eleven, Lights Go Out by Fozzie, the top charting rock song on the Strip Club DJ chart. So thanks, strippers, for digging our song. And uh, we're excited. We just rehearsed today a bad tattoo. Which, uh, actually, a couple of the songs. SOS, Died With You, Bad Tattoo, Do You Want to Start a War, Lights Go Out. All will be included in the set. One Crazed Anarchist. But the cool thing is that Bad Tattoo, if you've heard the song, and if you haven't heard it, shame on you. Stick your hand out. Stick your hand out. I'm going to slap it. I just slapped it. Did you hear that? Uh, It's got a theremin in it. Now, what is a theremin, you might ask? If you've ever seen Led Zeppelin, Whole Lot of Love video, Jimmy Page plays that theremin. It's like... 
you control it with your hands. Like, if you watched American Horror Story, the chick played a theremin, one of the witches. Anyways, a lot of people hear the solo in this next song, Bad Tattoo, and wonder what's that sound in the middle? What kind of a, of a, of a guitar effect is it? Not a guitar effect, it's a theremin. And you're going to get to hear that live when you come see us uh, on this tour. And you're going to get to hear it right now from Do You Want to Start a War? This is Bad Tattoo, featuring the genius of Rich Ward and his theremin. Crank it up!
All right, what'd you think? A bad tattoo. Wicked, huh? A theremin. Haven't heard of theremin in 20, 30 years. If you have, uh, if you remember a band that's used the theremin recently since Led Zeppelin, hit us up on the Twitter at Talk is Jericho, at Fozzy Rock, and let us know who that band is uh, and come see us live and you will love what you see. All right, Hardy Boys are next, but first, I gotta say, I did my DDP yoga after uh, Raw last night. I just keep trashing myself. I, I mean, I hurt my toes in the cage match against uh, Bray Wyatt last Monday. I hurt them again in Boston. I kind of cracked my back. I got cut open. I hurt my arm. But guess what? I got the uh, the remedy for something that will cure whatever ails you. DDP Yoga. Staying loose because I still got the Night of Champions pay-per-view coming up. And the Fozzie Tour with Theory of a Dead Man starts tonight. Uh, and I got to be ready to go because those shows are very physically taxing as well. Uh, a lot of cardio, a lot of jumping up and down, a lot of breath control. I need to stay in shape. And as much as DDP Yoga helps me, it can do the same thing for you. This is why I can jump off the top of a cage at 43 years old, specifically and only because of DDP Yoga, a great fitness program for anyone at any age and any fitness level. You don't have to be a professional athlete. You just have to be you. And because you listen to Talk is Jericho, DDP has given you a great deal in the Max Pack. I use it myself. 15 workouts designed for any skill level. Plus, you get a nutrition guide, a poster to help you remember the 12 core positions of DDP Yoga, and you get the workouts on MP3 so you can do them anywhere. I did it in the hotel room on the floor, put a towel down. That's all I needed. You can exercise anywhere, anytime you want. You got to give this a try. I'm telling you, if you like Chris Jericho, listen to me and give DDP Yoga a try. It's ddpyoga.com slash Jericho and take advantage of this special offer only available to you, the Sexy Beast listeners of Talk is Jericho. ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. But guess what? This offer is not going to last forever. You got to go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Take advantage of it now. Once again, that's ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Jericho, and you can find this great deal by going to podcastone.com. Click on the Keep Our Podcasts free banner at the top of the page, eh? then hit the Talk is Jericho button. Go try DDP Yoga now. You won't regret it. It's got the Y2J stamp of approval. I guarantee it. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho. All right. We are here in uh, Sanford, man, which is Sanford, North Carolina, which is close to uh, the home of the Hardy Boys, Reynolds, North Carolina. Correct. In Chris Jericho's translation, <laughs> Reynolds. <laughs> Reynolds. We've got Matt and Jeff, though, close to Cameron, which is cool that you guys still live there. You grew up there and, and have lived there your whole lives, never moved, right? Uh, that's correct. Yeah, we, we grew up on 120 acres of family land. Uh, that was passed down from our, our dad's father to our dad and then now to us, obviously. And we have uh, both 25 acres on uh, 25 acres on both corners, so it's real cool. It's nice. It's private. Also, it's like a family uh, homestead sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, right. No reason to move anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, it, it, for us, it worked out great. I mean, we, as 
you know, when we were in the hectic travel of being on the road 300 days plus with WWE when we were coming up doing our thing, you know, it was nice to come back just to nothingness, especially mm-hmm. when we were in that hecticness every single day, you know. And, and we come there. It's very peaceful. It's, you know, there's a lot of serenity there. And we both dig it. We're both country boys at heart. I mean, where we were born and raised, we're lucky we can read and write. <laughs> you know, we were raised by wolves. You know, our mom died early. Our dad was a hard worker and brought us up. Uh, so, yeah, man, we, we love it. Cameron is, is very special to us. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> but um, where my house is and my motocross track, it used to be tobacco fields, which is kind of cool because I reminisce and think about all that hard-ass work we did back in the day. But now it's my home. Mm. How was it growing up? Like you mentioned, your mom passed away early, and, and your dad's a great guy, Gilbert, the legendary Gilbert. Uh, was it kind of like, did you guys have to, was it a lot of hard work? Uh, what kind of, what kind of work did he do? Was he like a farmer or what, or what was, what was Gilbert's job? Uh, he was a rural letter carrier and he was, oh, uh, right. not on full time in the beginning. He worked every two weeks on every Saturday. So to, to kind of compensate and to make a living for us, uh, he raised tobacco and, and we did every job there is to do. If you're a tobacco farmer, when we were both little, uh, when we could first walk, we were putting, uh, sticks on the tobacco stringer and then we were putting tobacco on there. And then later we we're driving the tractor. Then later we we're priming tobacco, you know, so we did everything. We ran the whole gauntlet as far as all the jobs go there, but it, it was very hard work, but also it was, it was rewarding. Like we enjoyed it. It was, it was fun for us to do that in many yeah, ways. And by the time we evolved to like being a professional tobacco farmer, knowing at all, you know, he was, he went full time on the mail route and therefore, you know, he didn't mm-hmm. have to farm anymore. Well, you guys grew up like very close family and also like, I always think like very, very artistic family, uh, were you guys always kind of wanting to, to get into the wrestling business? I mean, I know both you guys have done so many things, you know, sculptures and music and, and sewing even and stuff like that. It seems like you always were very creative kids. I think part of the reason we were, were forced to be creative was just the environment we came up in because, as, as I said, like we grew up on 120 acres of land. We didn't have neighbors. Uh, you know, we didn't have any other kids our age that were around us. Hmm. Whenever Jeff and I grew up, I mean, how we entertained one another was to go out in the woods. We had like a secret group. We were the adventurers when our cousins would come over <laughs> and we would build uh, like hideouts and, and houses and camps. And like, we would explore the lands and territories. And we were right beside the, uh, a boys camp where it was kind of like, you know, younger kids who didn't have parents or were troubled kids would come and they have a thousand plus acres. So we also had that land and we'd explore into it. Sometimes we'd be gone all day, just like walking across the land and we would have to come up with things to, to entertain ourselves and be creative. So I, I really think that helped got our creative mm-hmm. juices flowing in the beginning. Yeah. And, and uh, where, where did wrestling come into play? Were you guys always kind of uh, captured the imagination by wrestling or when did you guys start getting involved with, with, with being fans of that? God, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I remember like going to Fedville though, to our first live show and just being, I mean, completely obsessed with like mm-hmm. what I just saw. Oh my God, I, I want to do this. You know, and we was in love with it, but I think it was WrestleMania. The first WrestleMania. WrestleMania. It was WrestleMania four. It was the big one, the turning point. The big turning point for us. Yeah, we saw that when Macho Man won the title. Yeah. I believe. Uh, I, well, what happened, we both played baseball coming mm-hmm. up, and we both loved baseball. That was, I think, our initial dream. We both wanted to be professional baseball players. And then once we got to WrestleMania four, we started watching around. Uh, right before they did the thing where they had the double Hebners and they tried to screw Hogan yeah, on the yeah, title. Classic, and we, right? we, we became, yeah, huge, hugely, uh, huge classic. <laughs> and we became fans from there on. And at WrestleMania 4, we made bets on who we're going to win. And we both liked Macho Man and he liked the Warriors well. And, uh, and Macho Man ended up winning. And that was one of the guys we'd kind of noted that we, we dug. And from that point on, we watched every week and we loved it. We were absolutely in love, obsessive with it after Macho Man won. And he was our guy. Mm-hmm. We both got mad at Hogan. You know, whenever Macho Man turned, we're like, damn you, we know you're going to win the title now. <laughs> you know, but that, that was the point. We knew we wanted to be a, a living, breathing superhero that is a professional wrestler at that point. And you mentioned your first show was at Fayetteville. Was that a WWE show? 
Uh, I think NWA. We went to NWA, NWA original. Because uh, this neck of the woods is more of an NWA yeah, North was, Carolina, This right? was yeah. a mid-Atlantic NWA thing. And we probably probably five or six of those shows came to every came here to every one WWE show, like Fedville. The first right. WWE show we went to in Fedville, though, was, was huge. And it, it was uh, Andre the Giant versus Big John Studd in the main event. And I remember that was pretty breathtaking to see guys of, of that size doing mm-hmm, their thing, mm-hmm. you know. But NWA was just such a spectacle. It, as it always has been, you know, then it was just, you know, you saw NWA as like, man, these are the guys that are like my dad. They would like, that's right. They would whip your ass. You know, they would beat you up. These guys are really fighting, you know, but WWE are big stars, like guys that would be in Hollywood if they weren't wrestling. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. Presentation was very different. Always looked so much bigger, too. I remember growing up in Canada when AWA was always there every month. And like you said, it was like beer drinking guys and big, you know, beer oh, bellies. Yeah. And the Crusher and Ray Stevens yeah. and Baron Von Raschke. And then the next month, suddenly it was WWE and all the guys were just massive and jacked up. And there's snakes and birds and hot chicks. Oh, and yeah. You'd never seen anything like that before, right? It, it, it totally was. I mean, WWE was just, just such a presentation, such a spectacle. But... NWA was was just more of a vibe of like oh my god these guys they would, I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to run into them in the street because they would really whip your ass yeah, yeah, yeah. you know I think the WWE guy he would be nice and probably just sign my autograph and we take photos because he'd be <laughs> cool you know but the other guys there there was just a really an air of like. They, they they were real in what they were doing. Did you guys used to uh, go try and find the wrestlers after the shows, or try and find them at the gym, or anything like that, or did you even know that you could do that? We would wait for sure at the buildings just to see them get in their car, you uh-huh. know, or whatever, and just get to get a little closer to them and see them in their, you know. Uh, Street clothes, or yeah, yeah, right, 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 basically. Yeah, we we never we never tracked them down at the hotel, or you know, maybe we didn't go that far to think like, oh my god, where they at, or you know, seek these guys out. But we would want to try and get there early and see them arrive and Mm -hmm. what they were doing. Oh my god, I remember when we first you know went in the late eighties, early nineties when guys were starting to rock Zubas, and that was the whole trend. We're like, oh my god, we got to have those. I mean, and you know, when we first started wrestling, you know, Zubas, high techs. I'm sure you had a pair at some point. You know, tucked into the high techs and the you know like the tank top. We even had the the muscle shirt that with the Shoulders cut out, you know. Oh, yeah, like yeah, I yeah. had a whole outfit. It was brutal. Because that was the wrestler uniform. Yeah. The Zubas <laughs> were kind of like the the, the the fancy sweats. Yeah, yeah. And with like you said, with the high top sneakers tucked in, or cowboy boots and Zubas. Were <laughs> yeah. Good ones. yeah, cowboy yeah, boots yeah. were very popular as well. The gimmick bag, the fanny pack. Oh yeah. And then the the really like the barely like the string the string uh, muscle shirt, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. We yeah. went to the first uh, TVs with Stallion at uh, Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I'll never forget seeing Luger pull up in like this, you know, boat of a Lincoln, and then he, <laughs> and he gets down. And he had a completely like long-legged uh, black and blue pinstripe unitard, and then one of the muscle shirts, and it was it was the crib and the little hip pack. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I thought it was the coolest shit ever. I, I want to pull that off one day. <laughs> and I remember you had a few pairs of tights like I that, went that home you and rocked, Me and yeah. Marty Garner, we found a pair of tights, man, like black and white stripes, and I wore those out a few times. <laughs> it, it, it was funny. The, the the more I look at it, you know, like when we put on the Zubas or tights like he did, you know, we had the fanny pack and the silly ass shirt. I mean, it was almost like when we were dressed up walking around like this, we're like, oh, my God, we're going to be in, in wrestling, and we're yeah. going to be wrestlers. But we look like we're two kids dressed up for Halloween. You know, <laughs> yeah. it was insane. <laughs> but that was the uniform, man. And it's funny. To this day, the one guy, and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to not tell you the name and you're going to guess it. The one guy that still wears a fanny pack every day to TV at work in WWE. Michael, is, Michael Hayes. Exactly. Yeah. Michael Hayes. Oh, we know man. that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and I remember, too, like even um, before I came to WWE, I don't know why, but I remember hearing about Omega, maybe reading about it, dirt sheets or something. And you guys like, you know, one, the funny thing about like people from the UK. They always start wrestling when they're 13 or 14, like Regal and Dave Taylor and, you know, even Paige. They started so young. But you guys were the same. You started wrestling at 13, 14, 15, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And with I, your own company. Uh, especially, like, I mean, it was a, a, a real weird 
you know, the, the segue from us was very interesting, but also very true in many ways because we started wrestling in our backyard on a trampoline against one another, and we emulated what we saw. And we happened to run into this guy who, who was a, a true carny, not a wrestling carny, but a true mm-hmm. carny who did shows at carnivals and fairs and whatnot. And he had a ring that was 20 by 20, and in the middle it had a, a trampoline that was 20 by 10. And he said, hey, I hear you guys wrestling in your backyard. He approached us. He said, would you guys like to come do this circuit with me, do carnivals? And, you know, we'll do so he had shows. a wrestling ring with a trampoline in the middle? Yeah. and. Wow. and like like it was it was uh twenty you know it was the length of the yeah, the yeah, ring, yeah, yeah. and then on the other sides it was uh ten or twelve okay and then gotcha. it was like four you know like four or five feet on each side and it was like concrete hmm. but you know like us the challenge was like oh we want to go to the hard part and take you know we want people believe <laughs> our stuff's legit we'll go up to the hard part and take bumps and uh, we got with this guy and did a few shows and and I remember the gig when he first started that ended up becoming our promotion because we kind of went in business with him in the beginning and he got six hundred dollars we would take like. Seven or eight guys, we'd have a lot of masks, we'd have a show in a box, you know, where a guy would wrestle without a mask, and he'd wrestle with a mask on. And yes, you could get an extra myself, match out of him. Myself, Jeff, uh, Shannon Moore, Marty Garner, uh, Jason Arnt, who was later Joy Abs. Uh, we would go have this show, and, uh, and, and we work for this guy, and this guy's like, well, I'm not making any money doing this deal, you know, it's not really going to work for me. We're like, are you, are you kidding, man? We, we, we're going to be the next WWE. No. <laughs> you know, but we, we knew, like, we have something here. We bought the ring from him, and, uh, and we knew we had to get rid of the trampoline, and, and we completely redid the ring, and then in 93 is when we ran our first Omega show. How old are you? 17 or 18 wow. at that point. And, uh, you know, Jeff was two and... Yeah, fifteen or whatever. Matt hadn't got his degree in engineering yet, so that ring was brutal. It was <laughs> terrible the way we put it together. Oh my god! When when the the first show that we had with our hard ring after we redid it, when we took it down, it took us eight hours to take the ring down. Wow! Because we Why? did it like because the pieces of plywood, each one was done with like a screw, you know, and one like they just sat and went down. It was like each one screwed in, like it was this huge puzzle, you know. Like, right, 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 right. Like if you go to IKEA and buy a piece of furniture, and if you've ever had a tricky time with it, just imagine something that was a hundred times bigger and hundred. <laughs> Times more complicated. That's how the first ever wrestling ring was. It was like a wrestling ring from IKEA. Yeah, that you had to put together and take apart each time. But you know, you know, we did that show, and I just think our, our thing was looking back at this, and and I said this a lot in my Ring of Honor promos. I had a, a real fun run there. I was doing as, as a hill, mm-hmm. and you know, I said I created the Ring of Honor wrestling style because literally we had a bunch of guys who were athletes and and could do a lot of really cool stuff, and we would go out and do a ton of high spots and a ton of cool moves and flips, but we had no idea what we were doing from yeah, a psychology yeah, standpoint. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and I think just the buzz of doing that, seeing five, six, seven, eight guys doing that at one time in a show, people were like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing ever. You know, you know how these uh, how these Internet folks are. If, <laughs> if, if word of mouth travels that guys are doing all these Well, that was pre-Internet, though. 93, man. There was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was. But it started coming into B around 94, 95, okay. 96. You know, and, and we continued to get a little better. And we still didn't have a clue what we were doing until we went to WWE. You know, we were still just jumping around like you know, mm-hmm. crazed monkeys, you know, but, but it was one of those things like people were like, Oh my God, this is, this stuff is so neat. And then once we had an idea of where we're going, I think we were able to put together some, some, some pretty cool stuff. Well, and, and who were these guys that like, were you guys all grow up together? You mentioned Marty Garner. I mean, there was like the, uh, the crew of guys that came from this area that you guys kind of grew up through the system with and worked with for years, even got them into the WWE or some of them were in the WWE. Uh, yeah, oh, myself and Jeff, uh, we grew up two and a half miles from Shannon Moore. So he was right down the road. Mm-hmm. Marty Garner lived about, 10 minutes from us. Uh, Jason Arndt lived about 10 minutes from us, the guy who was Joy Abs later. Hurricane. Uh, Hurricane and his partner, Mike Howe, who's one of the Dups, uh, they, they were about an hour from us. And we met them after we got into the business, <laughs> going a little bit, like starting to, to wrestle on a more regular basis. Caprice Coleman, a guy who's in Ring of Honor right now, he grew up 10 minutes from no us. Kidding. I mean, you know, Steve Carino had just moved down here. He lived in Rayford, which was about 20 minutes from I mean, we had a collection of guys, like all within an hour. It's a pretty talented know, group of an guys. An hour circle. And 13 guys wanted to sign contracts. 
that wow. worked with us, which is, is pretty impressive. And Marty Gardner ended up being Rocky's assistant, The Rock's assistant. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Marty had a good run. You know, he didn't quite didn't quite break the glass ceiling there. But so, how was it for you uh, as a promoter? I mean, you kind of started in the business as a promoter in a lot of ways. I, I did, and well, I did things as you said before. Like I, I, I raked pond straw. I sold pond straw, which literally I would spend all day and load up a truck that had framing on it with pond straw on itself for like a hundred bucks. You know, it would take six, seven hours to do. But it, like for me, that was a lot of money at the time. Mm-hmm. I worked at a car wash, and then I taught myself how to sew because we couldn't afford gear. It was so mm-hmm. expensive at the time. So my mom had an old sewing machine. I dusted it off and and taught myself how to do that. Jeff was landscaping he had a full-time job he had a guy that would let him off whenever so we could go and travel but my other source of income was being the promoter and this is really funny like i would go to to roses that 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 franchise doesn't even exist anymore is it a restaurant they're right here and there no it was like a a kmart or a walmart roses in this area i would go there and i bought me a nice pair of pants and a nice shirt and i had a little cheap ass briefcase and i had some papers in it (laughs) and i would walk around you know like a little (laughs) six to 17 18 year old matt hardy i would walk into business how are you i'm uh representing uh, omega wrestling my name is matt hardy and i'd just like to see if you'd be interested in doing a sponsorship we're you know the hottest promotions coming up in this middle atlantic you're hustling man yeah yeah yeah, you know and i would i would do that i would do that like for a week straight you know and i would go get you know five six hundred dollars worth of sponsorships enough to pay for the the building and the show and make sure all the guys like my goal was like to have everyone like 20 25 bucks yeah yeah. if we made a little more at the door then you get a little extra brother i'd bonus you Mm -hmm. you know so looking back it was like god it was embarrassing looking back at at what i did but at the same time you know i I give it to myself because i I had a little hustle in me and i I, I was driven to do something do do something more than what I was. Well, and that's how you guys were able to make it. The sewing he did was just incredible. I mean, you watched all those old Omega shows. The majority of the roster, I mean, Matt made the costumes. It was just incredible how fast he picked that up and learned it. Because, I mean, I gave it a try, and I just was not your horrible. Thing. Yeah, not my thing at all. But, yeah, I would do some designing, but that was it. But then he would sew anything I designed right into that spandex. Now, w- w- did you ever – I mean, obviously in this area, there's a lot of – independent wrestlers in North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee. As a promoter, especially being a young promoter, were there a lot of kind of the old-timer sharks that were coming to try and take advantage of you, thinking this kid's a money mark and I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll get some easy money from him? That's funny. I don't think anybody would have thought I was a money mark because it was very obvious I didn't have any, <laughs> I didn't have any money at that point. Right. You know, but uh, but they it was could funny. take advantage of you. Are, are you setting me up? Do you know this story? I, well, I think you told it to me, okay, but okay, it's cool, a good one. Great. So. Uh, yeah. so Manny Fernandez, who was in this area, he uh he, he was notorious. He had a huge reputation for like crashing shows and, and forcing his way on and making a payment. And this is right after we first met the Hurricane Shane Helms and mm-hmm. his partner Mike Howe. And uh, we were here in Sanford. Ironically enough, it was here in Sanford at the at the Armory. National Guard Armory, right? You know, not yeah, far. Yeah. It's actually right across town here. And uh, we were. It, it was a, a big show for us. Uh, it was the first one Shane and Mike were doing. And they had a shot on Friday the day before. And they'd ran into to Manny at a, a strip club slash restaurant the night before. <laughs> and they're like, you know, Randy's like, hey guys, how are you tonight? You know, I enjoyed seeing you at the show tonight. I think you guys got a lot of potential. You're gonna you're doing great things in this business. Where are you guys at tomorrow? And they said, oh, we're in Sanford. And he said, you're in Stanford. And he said, uh, no. And they kind of the, the 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 light bulb went off. They knew that he was up to something. He said, no, we're in Sanford. He said, yeah, I, I'm in Sanford too. And he said, I don't think you would be there. This is our friend. It's just kind of young, new guys, whatever. No, I'm booked there. So uh, they show up and they said, hey, we just want to give you the heads up. We think Manny's going to show up today at the show and uh, and try and force his way on the show, so you're ready. So Manny shows up that day and he has Frankie Murdoch with, Frankie Murdoch with him, who was the guy who was traveling with him like his stooge and I think his deals that he was Murdoch's nephew or something like that so he shows up at the show and he walks in with his bags with his gimmicks with his gear everything and rolls up and says oh uh, yeah where, where do i get dressed at 
And I was like, God. And I was like, you know, this is a guy that I watched growing up. Like, yeah. Not just like, as a teenager, but as a, like a child, like mm-hmm. six years old, seven years old, whatever. And so I'm on there. And uh, and then I've heard recently, like, oh, you know, he brings guns to shows and he fights all the time. And, you know, look, look, I, I'm very innocent at this point. And I walk up to Manny and I go, uh, hello, Manny. How, how are you, Mr. Fernandez? Uh, I, I'm the guy who's, who's booking the show and I'm, I'm the promoter. He says, where do I get dressed? I said, well, I'm, I'm sorry. We can't use you on the show. He says, Oh, no, no, no I, I'm booked. He said, I got booked here. I said, well, if I didn't book you, then you didn't get booked. <laughs> yeah. He said, no, Henry Dean booked me. And it was some other guy that ran shows. He just threw a name out there. Yeah. I said, I, I'm sorry, Mr. Fernandez. Uh, you're not booked on this show. I said, there, there's no more money to, to pay anyone. Like, I have enough money to, to pay everyone, and that's it. So I'm sorry. I can't use you. I don't have any money to pay. He said, oh, no, I'm going to be on this show. He said, and I'm going to get paid, or somebody's going to get their ass kicked. And then he stepped up, got nose to nose, and he said, and it might be you. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just sat there like frozen. I was like, You're like 18 years old. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. A little, little baby man. And I go, Well, I'm sorry you feel that way, Mr. Fernandez. <laughs> like with, the, with the, the utmost respect. I'm sorry you feel that way, Mr. Fernandez. But there's no money left to, to go around in the show, and, and it's not going to happen. And when Mike and Shane originally, they were standing like kind of behind him, like the formation, they'd already slid around and got behind me, and it was like Shannon and Champagne and Jeff. And, they, and then we had like nine guys on this side. And I said, Well, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry you feel that way, Mr. Fernandez, but no money's going to happen, and, and I can't use you on the show. And then talked him down a little bit, and then once he said, okay, well, that's fine. If I can't wrestle on the show, can I at least set up my gimmick table and sell my gimmicks? And I said, okay, that's fine. We can let you do that. <laughs> and he was okay with it. And we saw him years later after we were with WWE. We flew in from, from somewhere into Charlotte. We were going to go home that night, but we were checking in during the day before we went to the show that night. And he was a janitor at a La Quinta in Charlotte. He said, hey, kid. Hardy, he said, remember when you and your brother stood up to me when I tried to force my way on that show? He said, I'm so proud of you. You guys stood up to me and shut me down. <laughs> Only in wrestling, you know. Yeah. Now that's something like, I'm so proud yeah, of now you. He's your you friend, know? right? You know, yeah. like if I hadn't made it, he would have hated me and wanted to kill me because he didn't get that other $75 payoff. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I just love the fact oh. he tried to, 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 to bully you to get on the show. But see, you were learning the ways of the wrestling business, man. Like, you know, it's funny coming up. Like, I remember thinking, if I could just get on to Stampede Wrestling. Like those guys probably make 150 grand a year, like 200. <laughs> They're rich. If I could just get there, right? And then you find out they made like you know, 50 bucks <laughs> yeah. every second week if Stu paid them, but you didn't know, right? You just see some on TV yeah. and think this is like these guys are huge, right? Mm-hmm. For yeah. Sure. Uh, you know, it even goes on to now. Like, I'm, I'm just, I, I stay so busy, you know. And I mean, Jeff just has TNA right now, but you know, I'm mm-hmm. going to be doing some TNA with him coming up, mm-hmm. and you know, I've been doing Ring of Honor, and I've, I've been doing all the. The, the best shots I can do around, so I've right. stayed so busy. And Shane is kind of, I've given over the reins to him, and he kind of brought back Omega, and he's been doing it. He's been handling the booking and, and everything else right now. And it's funny, people contact us nonstop, like, hey, can we get a job with Omega? Can we do that? Like, guys, you know, this is just a show that we do every few months. It's not like you're going to make a living doing this. They think, just like you said, yeah, there's yeah. like that, there, there, there's that, that wild dream or belief that like, oh my God, Omega's back. That, you know, this is the like, you know, ECW was mm-hmm. in the day, or something, you know, mm-hmm. we're not on TV, we're not doing things regularly. We do shows that are really good when we do them yeah you know, it's not like some a regular gig where you're gonna make a living <laughs> and you've made it now you know <laughs> yeah do you want a beautiful lawn enter true green the easiest way to get a great lawn just water and mow and they'll do the rest weed control fertilization aeration and more true green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the pga tour and they have a verified best price which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality you do you let true green do your lawn care Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed.
You're listening to Talk is Jericho. We're back with Matt and Jeff Hardy. In those early days when you guys were running your own Omega promotion, were you Jeff Hardy at the time, or did you have another character that you were doing uh, back in these days? I was Jeff Hardy, uh, a.k.a. Wolverine, and then I was Willow the Wisp, so mm-hmm. I had a good guy and bad guy persona. And Willow was the with the, with the mask. Yeah, with the mask. Like now, I mind. actually did some research, and I found some other names. Uh, I'll ask you guys what the gimmicks were for these. Oh, this would be good. Yeah, see if I can find them. Of course, it was on on, YouTube, on uh, Wikipedia. So, okay, so Jeff, you were uh, Jeff Hardy. You were the Galaxian. Oh yeah. Is that was that in Omega? I was in Omega. No, what? It was never in Omega. Yeah, that that was in the backyard. In the oh, backyard. Okay. Trampoline wrestling. The Boeing. Boeing. Yeah, that that guy, the Galaxian, he was uh, from outer space. Yeah. Oh, Believe was he? Not, All right. That's not, not <laughs> sure. Planet. Not parts unknown. Outer space. And then a planet. Nemo that doesn't have a son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we had the Gladiator. Gladiator was cool. Okay. Uh, Gladiator was, uh, I think he had a partner named the Executioner. Yeah, he did, yeah. What was, was my brother, and we both wore the ski mask. Yeah, the, the Walmart ski mask, <laughs> Family Dollar ski mask. Spider-Man yeah. Zuba. Top-notch gear. <laughs> when yeah. I uh, had my own wrestling company called the BTWF Big Time Wrestling Federation, it was just me and my friend wrestling on high school gym mats. We actually had a tag team called the Balaclavas that wore Balaclavas because we, all we had were ski masks, right. which are also called Balaclavas. <laughs> so just be honest about it. Yeah. We're right, called yeah. the Balaclavas because we yeah. wear them. I like it. Uh, uh, the Iceman. Iceman from Iceland. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Actually, yeah. Obviously. <laughs> had it spoke with a bad, inconsistent uh, accent. Icelandic <laughs> accent, yeah. No, that's a good one. Uh, Keith Davis. Keith Davis. Wow. Is that a, is that a name? Uh, he was a trip though, uh, from Charlotte, right? Oh, well, that's funny that that's there. Keith Davis is the guy. He was supposed to wrestle Scott Hall. Uh, the right, first time we ever right, went to TV, yeah. oh. and and they pulled this guy said, you know, like he was one of Stallion's guys, and Stallion's guys got mad. They were paying him to be trained three grand, and we weren't. But WWE mm-hmm. liked us because we we're like young, athletic looking kids. We trying to take crazy bumps for the guys. So this guy Keith Davis wrestling Razor Ramon Scott Hall at the time, and like. 15, 20 minutes before the match, I said, I can't do it. I can't take his finish. It's going to hurt me. I can't do it. I have to. I can't do it. I'm so sorry, Stallion. So then they pulled him out, and Tony Greer's like, who can we do it? And he's like, oh, brother, get the fruit here, the, the young fruit. He said, get the young fruit here. He can take all the bumps. Yeah. He can take that move real easy. And, you know, Jeff is 16. He had to lie about his age. Wow. He had to back it up two years yeah. to sign the release form at WWE so that he could actually wrestle. And I see just pale, pale-ass little Jeff. My brother goes up and goes, oh, hi, I'm, I'm Jeff. Nice to meet you, well, sir. I was terrified, man. And, and, wow. And, and, you know, he said, well, this other you know, this other guy couldn't take my finish. I don't know what the, what, what in the hell he's doing here if he can't take a bump. You know, kid, I'll just I'll beat you with the back suplex off the top and the finish. Everything else, just listen to me. So Jeff's going on a Raw. And I, I went on a live Raw the first time I was there. And it was in 94 when we first went. And it was against Nikolai Volkov. And he could barely speak English at that point. So I knew it was going to be walk. Barely walk, barely <laughs> speak English. It seems barely like wrestle. I went out on the tape one before you, the live You did. One, which I was the first one of us, of us all to go yeah. out and talk about. Where was this show at? Youngstown, Ohio. Youngstown, and, Ohio. And how did you guys get booked on the show? Italian Stallion. Okay. He, he drove us up there like a big church van. We met him in Charlotte and took a whole crew up there. Well, that's what happened, too. When we first started doing our shows with the – with the guy that I was telling you was doing the carnival shows, mm-hmm. uh, who had the half real ring, half trampoline, half concrete ring, half trampoline ring. Uh, one of the guys who wrestled for us met a guy named Eddie Rainwater, who was a, a drove a Coke truck, and he was actually a, a trained independent professional wrestler who worked for Stallion. And he came out to one of our shows, and he came out to one of our practice sessions, and he saw, he said, oh, you guys are great. I want to introduce you to Stallion. And we went to Stallion, and I, I worked for him the first time because he needed a guy to go to WWE. And then a couple of his guys had canceled or couldn't get off work for three days. So he said, hey, do you have any other guys? So him and Champagne and a couple other guys went and had a tryout, and then Stallion took 
these guys and we all went 14 of us crammed up in a church van you know we drove 15 hours and you know did the three days and it was 150 bucks a day for an extra at that point and as soon as we got in the van and drove like you know seven eight miles away standing stuff he said all right brother he said if you guys want to go to the next town i'm gonna need a hundred dollar booking fee from each one of the 150 you know we stayed like eight in a room you know, and he was just—he was really racking up the money. Once again, it was the business. You know, yeah, about like it it being selfish, yeah. taking advantage. And, he came in. You know, you know, if, if you give someone a break, then you take as much of theirs as you right, can. Right, right. Of course, of course. So Keith Davis was the guy that was supposed to work with Scott. Now, were you announced as Keith Davis? No, they announced me as Jeff Hardy. Okay, they, they did, but there were people who made that mistake gotcha. later. Like I think it was reported, like you know, it beats Keith Davis because that was on the original run sheet. <laughs> yeah. But Jeff, Jeff went out there and, and Scott Hall beat the shit out of him, and it was it was strange because he hurt his knee. Did the thing that like Rick Steiner would do, where he puts him upside down, mm-hmm. and runs him with a turnbuckle on his knee at the pole. And the click guys were always nice to us after that because they felt bad they hurt Jeff, and, mm-hmm. and you know you hear terrible things about him, and I know that there's a lot mm-hmm. of bad stuff that's went on with him, whatever. But they were always cool to us after that. How did you? Were you scared to death at 16 years old, man? Oh yeah, I was terrified. I went out there just completely terrified. But then once we got going man i'll never forget feeling that that ring was oh my god it was so hard and i was like oh my wow. god like kickball there's no give to it whatsoever and then i just took it man and, and did the best i could but yeah i was terrified and how much did you weigh at the time about 185 190 maybe so pretty pretty maybe. skinny though yeah yeah i was yeah. Skinny. <laughs> yeah, skinny and scared as a real and then you worked with nikolai volkov mm-hmm. probably did not have as exciting of a match as jeff did just by the fact it was nikolai yeah, I mean, what Jeff, Jeff's, I mean, he, he really just beat Jeff up the whole mm-hmm. while, uh, you know, so it wasn't super exciting. Nickel, I tried to put a little couple dips in there, you know, and like I remember I got to dive off the top turnbuckle and miss a crossbody nice. at one point, but, but it was it, it was okay. I remember a funny story was uh, Tony uh, Gurria had came up and said, you know, whatever you do, kid, this is live. You can't mess up. If you mess up, they'll never bring you back again. I was like, okay. And I'm sweating. <laughs> and Nikolai comes up and says, oh, don't worry. He said, it'd be very easy. He said, and I'm not hard anyway. Every time I go out, I mess up stuff. So don't worry about it. I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be it for me. You know, and it, it, it was funny because I wanted to know, like, everything we were going to do at that point. You know, I was very nervous about sure. going out there or not, but we didn't. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, Tell me the whole match. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> So then did you guys get a regular gig as extras after that, or how did that come up? We did. What, what ended up happening is we would go with Stallion probably every four or five, six months. And, uh, and then eventually Stallion's guys got upset, and they said they're going to stop paying him to be trained hmm. because all we did was like his you know live event shows, in theory. We would drive all of them down the East Coast and do shows for free, but then we'd still get to go to WWE. And WWE, were, they wanted you know the Hardys and, mm-hmm. and their guys. So then Stallion left us one time. So we drove on our own to a trip in Georgia. We met Chief J. Strongbow, and we said, hey, don't call Stallion. Just call us. And then myself, Jeff, Jason Arn, and Marty Garner started getting booked individually. And that's kind of how we got our break. And then yeah, that was the moment. You know, mm-hmm. And then from there, after they were calling us, then we ended up getting to do like more, you know, you know, better matches or some dark matches. And they looked at us. And we actually got flew to a few TVs. Ah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We, we got flew to a few TVs. Time. And it just, as time went on, it segued from being, we segued from being jobbers without a contract to being jobbers with a contract. You know, <laughs> in 97, 98. And who were you talking to at the time? That was Who was your connection in the WWE that would... Chief J, oh, Chief yeah. J, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chief J Strongbow, yeah, cool. Did, did, was Howard calling you? Do you remember Howard used to call? Yeah, Howard would. Yeah. How Howard cool was that? The first time I got a message on my answer machine from Howard. This is Howard Finkel from the WWE. And it's like, yeah. ah, it was very cool. <laughs> I, I, I remember, uh, you know, this is, you know, like you said, how cool it is for Howard to call you. Like we were in this in the Southern Pines Armory getting ready to do a show and, and Howard called us and told us that we're flying us up to these TVs if we're free to do it. We're like, of course we're free. <laughs> Are you free? Let me check my schedule. Right. right. <laughs> I remember watching you guys. Um, in, in, I was in Calgary. It was on one of the shows. I can't remember what it was, like Superstars or whatever. And you were wrestling uh, uh, Phil LaFon and Doug Furness. <laughs> 
and you went to do like a top rope acai moonsault, not even from the second, and just slipped and just bailed. But I remember thinking, man, that's pretty crazy that you even tried that. I'd never really seen that before. Yeah, and I would nail it at our shows, you know, because we had cables for ropes. Yeah. And, you know, I went for it, and oh, my God, you know, things like that happened. Sure, so sure, fast. sure. But I was so amped. I was like, I'm going to make somebody's going to remember me. This is going to be so beautiful. But, man, it was just heartbreaking. Just, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Crash and burn. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. And the best thing was it was, a, it was a taped show, but they didn't even edit it. They just left it in. Yeah. Eh, whatever. Which was, I would have been mad if they wouldn't, wouldn't yeah. have left me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a, a little known fact about that match is we, we had it said originally he was doing that. I was coming in. I was going to take the heat. And Jeff was going to come out. We had to change that on the fly completely. and just took the heat. Yeah. I was like, what? Well, I, I think they got to get steam on Jeff now. That's happening. <laughs> I think, I, remember, I think it's going to be hard to avoid this. <laughs> but I remember your tights, too. They had, like, sunflowers on them and all these, like, fringe, and they were really kind of cool. Hope, faith. And that's, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Because yes, you made them, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, we'd go pick up that wild material, and Matt would sew it together. Man, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was I mean, it was, they were they were pretty inspiring. I mean, it's it, they were so inspiring and inspired the Young Bucks whole persona, you know. And that, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Know? Have you guys ever wrestled with those guys? On August 2nd for the first that's time. That's kind of like a pretty the, cool match. You know? Yeah, no, pe- people are... We wrestled the Briscoes, uh, which was was really really fun. Those guys mm-hmm. are awesome, and uh, and and we did great. We drew sixteen hundred people in Cameron. Wow, um, great house. We sold out like the high school we went was to. That was that an Omega show? It was an Omega oh, show. There yeah. you go. So uh, yeah, Omega's doing big business, brother. <laughs> but we're not going to be able to make you a living. Manny Fernandez is going to show up next time. <laughs> he is. I'm, I'm not, he's going to be here any time. <laughs> I know. Yeah. He's already tried to get booked. He might even be the janitor at this hotel. He might try and yeah, come on this <laughs> podcast. It's funny. Uh, I am booked <laughs> for this podcast. <laughs> Jericho called me. His agent Ralph has called me. I am on this. <laughs> podcast uh, so you guys finally were jobbers with the contract and i remember i came to the w in august of 99 and you guys were just starting to get uh, oh, yeah, a, yeah. a run a push what finally i mean it's a pretty rare thing for guys that were jobbers quote-unquote jobbers mm-hmm. extras uh, enhancement guys to end up getting a push what was it that finally helped you guys, you know, break free from, you know, being just guys that were losing to getting legitimate shove? I, I think even like you said that, you know, the, the match with Furnace and Lafon, we had a, a dark match with the Truth Commission. We had a lot of matches where like, well, there's potential here. There's potential. Mm-hmm. We'll see if we can do something. Eventually they signed us. And then after they signed us, it was, the, you know, the, the, we came in and then we beat Kai and Ty in our debut, our official debut after we'd signed a contract. And then we uh, beat Too Cool the night after. Then we did about 50 jobs. And then we beat the then we beat the road wars, the fake road wars that were there at the end when they, when they kind of tweaked them up a little bit. Yeah, you know. And then we did some more jobs, but we started having matches with Edge and Christian. We were going back and forth on house shows, like winning and losing. And then we had some great matches on TV. And I think just that series of matches mm-hmm. against those guys are like, wow, these teams are really good. If we built these Hardys, they could have great team, great matches on a competitive level. Mm-hmm. And and I almost think it was like it helped us, and at the same time too, like. Adam originally was going to be a singles guy, but I think that almost they said, well, him and Christian together are so good as a tag team. Let's run with this for a while. So then they put us with Michael Hayes. We started feuding with those guys initially. Uh, we had a, a run with the tag titles, which it was one of those things like where you know you're the tag team champions, but you're not the, the best yeah, tag team right. in the world, the deserving champions. And it's where like the titles are helping you more than they're helping mm-hmm. you're helping them. You know, is is that scenario? But it, we really turned the corner when we had that that first ever tag team ladder match. You know, sure, that, that was the thing that, that made us, and from there, it just kind of you know went crazy after that. What was the uh, the idea in putting you with Michael Hayes? Because he wasn't like a TV character at the time. He was an announcer maybe or something? Or? You, you, you know, I, I know they wanted to find a way to change us, to refresh us. And, I, and I, we didn't know Michael well then. I mean, we M- Michael 
helped us out during that period more than anyone else mm-hmm. ever did. We he took a real a, liking to you we, guys. We, we, we learned a lot about him, and and you know, like I referred to him in the past as our wrestling daddy, and he is. I mean, he's responsible for a lot of our success. We can't deny that because he he I know he taught me a new way to think, mm-hmm. especially from a psychology standpoint. But I, I think Michael was trying to look for a way to get in and kind of have one more run, and and maybe the door opened up. They said, "Hey, we want to put someone with the Hardys. We think you know the three of you guys might do something." He's like, "Yeah, I'll take it." Because mm-hmm. I remember he told me before it happened, like three or four weeks before we're going to do this, I want you to be thinking about it. You know, start get your wheels turning, and uh, it, it's it's funny. It, it really introduced me to a whole new way of thinking about things mm-hmm. because before it was with Michael. Before I was with Michael, and and I don't know if you feel like this as well, Jeff. But I almost thought about like if if you were booked to do something good, it was like okay, cool, this is good. Sometimes you're booked, and and you're master of this as well now. You know, and and it takes a while comes with experience. Like sometimes you can be booked to do something that's not meant to be good for you. It's not meant for you. You're mm-hmm. not spotlight. You're not highlighted. But you can still go out and make it great for you because you know how to do things the right way. That's right. Yeah. You know, so so Michael really introduced me to that 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 mindset and that train of thought. How about you, Jeff? Uh, did you start realizing that there was a whole new psychology in the WWE that you didn't know it was more than just moves? And- for sure. I, I totally agree with what Matt just said. But like that one defining moment for me going way back to the jobbing days was when I wrestled King Kong Bunny and I did the uh, vertical backflip yeah. on the clothesline. Good call. And just Scott Hall. And I mean, he would always talk about that Kenton Nash and they would always put me over. Did you see he's the one that did the flip? You know, mm. and they always. And I think that moment right there, every time I went out there, I said, I, I'm going to do something that, you know, they can't resist me. They're, mm. they're going to have to love me. Well, you know, and I'm going to lose, but I'm going to lose well. Right, right, and, right. And impress somebody. But, yeah, and then getting with Michael, we just learned more and more about how to structure things. And mm-hmm. and, and me, the, I mean, the art form just became so much better. Yeah, it's amazing. The, people always talk about, like, the WWE style. And it's a right. real thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when I first came in, I did not know the WWE style. I didn't know what, what I was doing. Nine years in the business, and I didn't know anything about this whole style and you realize, like, wow, what was I doing? Like, what, what was what, I didn't know anything, right? right. You know, all of us because it was yeah. about the moves, and I can do this. I'll do a double moonsault, and all this. It's like, who gives a right? right. Yeah, I, I mean, that, mean that, a thing, man. Yeah, yeah. You, you think you know it all, but then you, it's so eye opening. You know? Yeah. Like, once you get an idea, like, oh like, my god, wow, like, I can't believe you know, I missed it. That's right. You, you know, know? And, and you just feel it, it. It makes you realize, like, oh my god, like I was just one of the people that's sitting in the seats because mm-hmm. I don't really get the whole wor- concept behind this work. That's right. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a good athlete. Yeah, but it really doesn't matter. Right. Um, talking about breaking through, you mentioned the, 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 the I think it was the Terry Invitational, the best of seven series. Uh, yeah, it was going to be that originally, but it ended up being the best of five. Okay, but <laughs> you know it's TV; everything's condensed. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, shortened yeah. it on us. But I remember that that ladder match, man, because uh, I came in, I did a couple things, and it, I was just kind of sitting around not doing much, and I was watching that pay per view backstage and seeing this match of you and Edge and Christian and, and Jeff and Matt breaking through to the next level. Because that was kind of the first modern-day ladder match. Yeah. You know, because we had totally. them, you know, in the 90s with Sean and Razor and Brett and Sean, et cetera. But they kind of went away for a while a little bit, and then you guys came out there and just basically redefined the the, 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 the norm of what a ladder match was. Yeah, I mean, their ladder match was great. Theirs was like the Luthes ladder match. Yeah. yeah Ours was yeah. the Hardy Boys yeah. ladder match. Yeah. yeah. You know, kind of we, we kind of upped the ante. We, we raised it up a level. Well, tell us about that. How, how, did you guys sit down and, and work on that for a while, or how did that come together as far as putting together the match? Going back and talking about Michael, like I, I just want to mention this. It was very awkward at the time but when we had to be made over we went to a mall and we had, we oh, had to look, wow this was huge for us they I mean, wanted to get out of the matt hardy yeah. costumes yeah. and into <laughs> it, exactly and it was going to be hair in the face you know something different just go out to the mall and find something and michael was picking up these you know uh, 
God, John Eric, free uh, bird street fight ideas or whatever. But so Hayes was going to be your no, fashion oh, consultant. No, no. At first we had to change your outfits. Michael was like, I don't know, guys. Maybe we just should get some jeans, jeans and a big jeans. belt buckle so, yeah. and. Uh, and we're going, brother, I think we, get some, pack. we can get some jeans. Let's update it a little bit to the 90s, you know, <laughs> late 90s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, somewhere in that uh, Gadzooks or Hot Topic, you know, stores like that is where we kind of went. And, and we were looking for what, how we were going to be, what we were going to look like. We found the kickwear pants and the tight shirts, and it was, I felt so weird going out there the first time. I'll never forget how awkward yeah. it was. Like, what are we, what, look at us, man. We're it, tights, I, our, <laughs> we got shirts on. It was like a dream. Like, you know, oh my God, we went to the ring in our clothes, not our yeah, tights. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's what it felt like at first. Well, and, you know, you have to continue, you know, like different colors for different shows or whatever, but oh my God, it was just, it was the greatest thing we ever did. Well, it's funny too, because now it's that, that's the Hardy Boys look. Oh, but when yeah. you, I mean, I remember even with, with the lighted jacket thing, I was like, I wonder if that would, like, am I going to feel stupid? Is this going to be dumb? All right. And now, it's like if I don't show up with the stupid jacket, right. it's like, where's your jacket? Right. Same thing yeah, with yeah. you guys, you know? Sure, it's yeah. like that's the look, but I'm sure at first you felt like you're wearing scuba diving de- gear out there it's or whatever. It's hard, man, to do things that hasn't been done. Already. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, you, when you pioneer or revolutionize something, you're always rolling the dice because it might, you know, that's it, might, right. it might, might be a big failure. You yeah. know, it might flop. And if it does, then you always remember, oh, remember this when <laughs> these guys wore these, these kickwear clothes or when Jericho wore the light bright jacket. Yeah. You know what? You never know. But like, you know, if, if you go out and you try and do it the right way, and presentations, everything. I mean, if you can get something over, then you will always be remembered. Well, for, and, you know? and people started wearing your clothes, like right. fans. I mean, it was like it, it, Hardy Boys and then Team Extreme. It was such a cool, like you said, I'd never been seen before. Yeah, yeah. And it was like a real punk rock emo thing before there was emo even. And, and it was it was the worst thing that happened to, to indie wrestling because then like everybody said, "Oh my god, we don't even we don't even have to go get tights <laughs> right, right now. Right, right, right. We can just go to Hot Topic and buy the Hardy Boys gear. <laughs> oh, you know, and we can yeah. be extreme. You know, we don't even have to wrestle." We just jump off ladders. But it's funny too. Even when, <laughs> when I saw you guys when you came to the door, I forgot how big you guys are. Like tall, you, like obviously both in great shape, but not everybody in the indies that were wearing those costumes right. afterwards <laughs> were like that. You know, right? <laughs> right. Hey man, and I, I got to go back real quick. Whenever we said, I remember we went in and tried on our stuff. We were in Hot Topic. We we wore the outfits. We come out. You know, Jeff and I. We had our belt on, but our pants. Hung a little lower, yeah, like loose, the yeah. was, whatever, loose. And then I remember, like, we got dressed, and we're like, I don't know, man, it looks pretty cool. Pretty cool. We'll see if we can pull it off in the ring as far as wrestling in it. And then I remember the dressing room door open, and Michael walked up, and his pants were real high. And he's like, All right, guys, I think it looks good. We're ready to go. And I remember Jeff and I just kind of looked at each other, like, Boy, this, this is going to be an interesting experiment. Yeah. He's like your crazy old uncle. Or yeah, he like was. That, yeah. Right? yeah. Michael Hardy there was ready. We ended up kind of getting a sponsorship from the uh, T. Riley people because they gave us a bunch of free shirts, you know. Oh, okay. Over the company that made those shirts. And, yeah, yeah. But, but going back to the ladder match now with Edge and Christian in the tights and then us and R, it just it made that war so much better. Mm-hmm. You know, the different uniforms for that. That but when battle. you guys were putting that match together, did you sit down and say, like, okay, we got to do something that's never been seen before? Or was it just a natural thing? I mean, because it was really amazingly put together with so many spots we'd never seen before. Thank you. Uh, You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you too. Uh, But I was going to say, I mean, Jeff and I did those very regularly, like in Omega. You know, like we would when I was Matt Hardy, uh, just without a mask or anything, my own identity. I was high voltage, and then later Surge after the team in WCW stole my name from a demo tape that came in from the WCW (laughs) High Voltage. Yeah, (laughs) our attitude will determine our altitude. (laughs) Yeah, how that work? How that how that work out for them? 
and, uh, and and Jeff and I had ladder matches a lot, and and we suggested it uh, initially, and we didn't think they would ever go for it. Oh, so and, it was your idea? Yeah, the ladder match was our idea with Adam and Jay, and and, mm. and they were cool with doing it. And we thought, man, we can nail this thing. Like we can do something really different and update it and do some things that have never been done because we'd done tons of crazy stuff in the past that we thought we could, you know, they would be able to translate over onto mm. WWE television. And uh, we we had this match. I remember they wanted us to fly up to Stanford. They were so worried and concerned about it because they knew how oh. we wrestled. They wanted us to come up to Stanford and go over the match. And who was was it Christian that got stuck that time? Remember? Seems like it was. I think it was just myself, Jeff, and Adam. I want to say Jay got stuck, like because of weather or whatever. And we went there and we started putting the the frame of this match together. And Michael Hayes was there, and uh, and we started working it out piece by piece. But then we sat down. I remember in the Gund Arena in that hall in the back, and we all sat just you know with our legs spread out with our back against the wall in a certain little hallway, and we put everything together step by step. And and you know we went out there, man. It was it was like magic. And the next night we went out and got a standing ovation yeah. for that, and it, it just felt special. Like you, it, you knew this was your chance. If you if you hit a home run, yeah, you're on your way if you didn't you might not get another shot we knew we were going to get an opportunity that 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 could make us or break us you mm -hmm. know so we, we had to know this one what was um what were the reactions did you ever have any relationship with vince at that point in time other than hello sir <laughs> <laughs> that, that that was about it you know like you know w once in a while you know you would kind of get to, to banter with him back and forth but but really it was more or less like you know hello or goodbye whatever mm -hmm. i remember he uh congratulated us after the match and, and thought it was great and i remember the next day he was just shaking his head like god how'd you guys do that and you're still walking whatever like at that, that age, I remember being young and invincible. That was nice, you know. <laughs> the, the the recuperation time wasn't yeah. wasn't very long, but uh, but no, but but everyone else, it really people took us serious. Not only did fans start appreciating, but like people within the office, they're like they right, saw potential right, right, within us. Right, then right. you know, so that that match was just we we turned such a huge corner that day. Plus, you guys were getting over with that. Like you said, a standing ovation that wasn't uh, you weren't milking, weren't looking for it. It just no happened. pandering. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No pandering. It just happened. Okay, we'll stop right here with Matt and Jeff Hardy. What a great first part! But I got another part. We're gonna pick it up again on Friday. We'll get into Team Extreme and Lita and the substance abuse problems that almost ended both of their careers and their lives. Plus, we'll talk a little TNA since Matt and Jeff are both working for Impact now. So much more with my brothers, my friends, Matt and Jeff Hardy on Friday. Stick around for that. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Matt and Jeff Hardy for part one. Uh, part two is on Friday. And thanks to all of you who picked up the new Fozzie album, Do You Want to Start a War? We debuted at number 54, our highest chart debut ever on the Billboard charts. How fruit is that? Our tour with Theory of a Dead Man starts tonight, September 17th in Tempe, Arizona at the Marquee. We're in Abilene on Thursday, San Antonio on Friday the 19th, and Shreveport on the 20th, plus Night of Champions on Sunday. My last WWE appearance for a while. Then back on the road with Fozzie. I'll still be out there, guys. I'm still doing my thing. Plus, my book, The Best in the World at What? I have no idea. The third book, the third in the trilogy of Jericho's life story is coming out on October 13th. I'll be doing a lot of appearances and signings for that. You can pre-order that book on Amazon, which I want you to do by going to podcastone.com, clicking on the Keep Our Podcasts Free banner at the top of the page, then click on Talk is Jericho. You'll see my Amazon links, UK, USA, and Canada A. I want you to pre-order the best in the world at what? I have no idea. When you do that, Amazon will kick a little cash back to the show so I can keep doing this for you for free for twice a week. I'm helping you. You're helping me. It's a symbiotic function. Very, very beneficial to both. There's no extra fees or hidden charges when you go on Amazon through my link you're just getting your shopping done you're helping me out on the process so many cool things coming up with chris jericho and i'm glad that you're here with me to uh join me for the ride that's it another uh exciting edition 
of Talk is Jericho, entertaining edition of Talk is Jericho. In the meantime, and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs. We'll see you on Friday for the second half of this crazy, cool, killer conversation with Matt and Jeff Hardy, the Hardy Yeah Boys. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcastone.com. 